1: From Pro Wrestling Illustrated, thank you so much for coming to Foundation Radio today, sir. How are you?
2: Uh, very good. Glad to be with you,
1: Adam. I'm uh, very happy to hear you. I want to give a quick shout out to our uh, our mutual friend Duke Bennett, who helped introduce us here. Um, I just kind of wanted to get started and uh, get into it a little bit. You've been with PWI for a pretty long time. You've been the uh, you were the former senior editor. Is that correct?
2: Yes, uh, I was uh, been senior writer for a long time since 1997. I did have a tour. Uh, at the actual office outside of Philadelphia as editor-in-chief from about 2006 to almost 2009, I think. Um, uh, I was not uh, the top guy. Of course, Stu Sachs was the publisher and editor-in-chief a long, long time. He had worked there since 1979. Uh, I would say probably the most interesting thing about actually working in the office was dealing with our vast photo archives. So uh, that in a whole other dimension compared to, you know, working at home, you know, on a full-time basis and you're just typing, right, and just churning t- things out as fast as you can. Uh, but when you take time and you can find pictures to match your stories, that, that was nice.
1: Now, Bill Apter was the long-term uh, photographer at PWI. Is that correct? What was that like being able to go through some of that archive? Because I can imagine that would just be like mind-blowing extensive, right? Oh, my goodness.
2: Um, well... In our same office, we shared the office with uh, the publishers of boxing magazines. Uh, Basically, Capital Publishing uh, produced wrestling magazines, PWI, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, all those, and also The Ring, Boxing Magazine, KO, Boxing Magazine. So in each collection were photos going back 100 years. So, like, we have, have a photo of Farmer Burns that looks like uh, it, w- it was drawn with a pencil, you know, wow. 1903. So, they go way back. And, you know, the fact that we only produce one magazine or at least nine issues per year, I feel like our photos are very underutilized. It is a treasure tro- trove
1: what was the favorite, what was your favorite photo that you discovered from the archive? Cause now I'm a photographer myself. So I'm always curious about those kinds of things. What obviously we're, we're both, you know, big pro wrestling fans. Was there a marquee moment or a yes. marquee show? What was well,
2: it? Well, this shows the wrestling nerd side of me. Um, when I was growing up, I was a big fan of uh, Roddy Piper and I grew up watching Jim Crockett promotions. And uh, you know, when you're a 10 or 11 year old kid, and your favorite wrestler suffers a catastrophic injury where Piper had the ear injury that was sort of an accident at first where Valentine and Piper fighting, and he gashed his ear. And then they went around the horn where Valentine kept pounding his ear night after night, and then the Starcade match with, with the chain. Then Piper became legitimately deaf after a while. <laughs> but I remember that being... A very interesting story in Inside Wrestling, where they showed Piper at home and looking at pictures of Valentine, like, I'm going to get that guy. And it showed him, like, peeling off the bandage of the dried blood, you know, at his home, you know, just, and it was an unusually, unusual inside look, where basically most stories back then were always in ring action. And you bring the those photos to the office, okay, it's. Andre the giant versus Ernie land. Okay. Let's make a story out of this where this was like, this is like the guy at home. And he's like, come. And it certainly looked like a legit injury at the time. So probably my first week actually working in the office because I worked there a great deal when I first started around 97 and 98. And when I came across the photo archives of the actual black and white photographs of the, those pictures I had seen, you know, fifteen years earlier, I was like, "Wow! So this is this is it right here." So, sort of validated the whole thing.
1: I uh, I can't even imagine for me as a wrestling fan because I I can recall watching my very first WrestleMania. I think when I was like four. We used to have this video store, and I'm from Bucks County, and and on the other side of the okay. state. So I'm in Pittsburgh now. There used to be this video store called Clyde's, which was in Levittown. And they had all the brand new video releases. So we would get the WrestleManias and we'd watch and we would watch them until the tapes fell apart. So for me as a kid, I always wanted to be, you know, like a writer or somebody that was involved with pro wrestling in some way, shape or form. Right. I can't imagine what that must have been like for you to have access to that, not only as a as someone writing for the this publication, but being a part of now the stories that are coming out, you know the newer uh the newer publications and the newer news. how as a wrestling fan, what does that mean for you to know that your name is is stamped on history?
2: Oh wow. it was such a big deal for me because you know, I grown up reading Stu Sachs and Bill Lapter. I'd seen Bill after on television, and for it I think I should note most writers up. To the time that I started, were not wrestling fans growing up. They were professional writers. You know, they might have w- worked at Playboy or worked for a newsday. I mean, they were the kind of writers you could give them any genre, any story, and they could turn out something excellent with very little knowledge of the topic. Now, Stu Sachs was a wrestling fan growing up. He was the exception. And, and I think that's the big difference between the writers of today. And the writers of, I'll call it the glory years of the 80s, where we grew up being wrestling fans. And it, I guess we, it means more to us. Wrestling means more to us. Uh, just to give you a little story. Uh, I, once I once I was brought on to a free, freelance write for, for them at the beginning, I said, well, you know, Ambler, Pennsylvania is not that far away. Because I live near Ocean City, Maryland. So it's about a three-hour drive. And I called Stu. I said, you mind if I just drop in just to see everybody? He said, oh, great. He said, come on a Friday when we can do headlines. Headlines were done every Friday afternoon where we would, like, have the pictures of so-and-so versus so-and-so, and we would come up with the stories. And it was a great moment, like, Stu's at the computer, you know, typing in the headlines, and Bill after is here with the photos because he was the photo guy. He says, well, I've got a picture of uh, – Hogan versus the giant. What are we going to do with this guys? And uh, I remember I had to go to the restroom and I was uh, like washing my hands afterward and Bill comes into the restroom. And uh, he said, oh, Harry, have you ever had your head rammed into a hand dryer? Uh, I said, no, I, I really haven't. He said, go ahead, take the back of my head and just ram my head into that dryer. I said are you sure you want me to do that and i had barely placed my fingertips on the back of his head and he just thrust his whole body against the hand dryer his hands up against it like this and i said whoa it was him showing me what wrestling was you know Uh, meanwhile you know i'm still looking for matt brock and liz hunter like do they work next week i don't see them around but bill that was like in that little three-minute exchange okay my eyes are opened.
1: <laughs> that is uh, that is quite a story. I don't know how I would have reacted to watching Bill after throw himself into a hair dryer or a hand dryer, but I'm sure it was probably uh, it was probably a little confusing at first. But um, I think what is really cool about PWI, like I have a lot of memories as a kid walking to the Seven Eleven and getting copies of PWI, cutting the pictures out. Like I'm sure I know there's a photograph of me and you know seven eight years old. Jerry the King Lawler and all of my favorite wrestlers black and white photos all over my room uh and just being able to to like sort of immerse myself in that world not even really knowing all of these people right cuz you couldn't find Jim Crockett Promotions everywhere you couldn't even find the original like origins of of WCW my very first memory of WCW was being in Georgia at a family member's house and they were watching it i think it was saturday night at 605 if i recall correctly they were watching WCW Seeing the name Dusty Rhodes going, wait a second, I think I know that person from the polka, he's the polka dot guy, right? You know, so like connecting all these dots together and trying to understand like, wow, there is this entire world outside of Vince McMahon's organization. Uh, So it's really cool to to talk to you and get to pick your brain about the history of PWI. Um, What is your earliest memory of wrestling as a kid uh, and what got you into the fandom that you are now?
2: Well, uh, the area where I live uh, near Ocean City—it's a small town called Girdle Tree. Stu made fun of me every day. Harry, are you going to back to Girdle Tree? You know, <laughs> but it's sort of a rural area. Uh, and at that time, when I was growing up, we literally had only two TV stations. You know, and one of them was public television. So you didn't have a wide range of options, and a competitor opened up. So this had to be probably late 1981. And I'd never even he- really heard of pro wrestling and then never entered my consciousness. And I was probably about 10 or 11 years old. And I remember Sunday afternoon, one o'clock, this new TV station, you know, first week is all exciting. You're trying to say, Oh, what comes on five o'clock? Oh, it's happy days comes on. Wow. It gets the happy day, happy days every night. So Sunday it's championship wrestling. And the first image I see is Vince McMahon with wrestling, great Pat Patterson. And that was my first exposure. And it all seemed very legitimate to me because the old classic WWF, I would say worked off of a boxing template. You felt like you're watching a a boxing event because they had the ringside physicians, Um, they would introduce the, the state athletic commission. And it seemed all very formal. And and then we could actually, we started picking up a station south of us from Virginia, Virginia Beach. And they carried Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, which, which was a whole other different kind of presentation. Sort of like your revelation, comparing WWF to Georgia. Uh, to me, Mid-Atlantic was more like the Dukes of Hazard you know you had the good old (laughs) boys you know they're looking out for each other wasn't really a boxing setup at all that stuffy kind of atmosphere and between those two programs and also seeing wrestlers going between the two was fascinating because i believe greg valentine had a special deal at the time where he'd wrestle one year uh for jim crockett one year for vince mcmahon senior and to see these wrestlers go from one promotion to another it was very intriguing and when i saw my first wrestling magazine at the local safeway this would have been very early 1983 i asked my mom for the dollar 50 to buy that thing and i just devoured that as soon as i got home and you know first tuesday of every month there i was to buy that inside wrestling and then when i started to discover the other wrestling magazines. You know, my, my parents had to tell me to slow down, you know, I'm spending too much money <laughs> on all this stuff.
1: So what, what have been your favorite interviews that you've done with PWI? Like what have been your favorite moments as someone inside of the industry now? Like what, what has been I can tell you my favorite interview so far and I haven't done many uh-huh. was Eric Bischoff. And I'll ask you a question that I asked him as well to sort of tie it back. But what has been your favorite interview that you've been able to accomplish?
2: Oh, can I give you a, a very quick Eric Bischoff story that has nothing to do with me? Absolutely, feel free I, to. Yeah, I have never met Eric Bischoff. I've never interviewed Eric Bischoff, so you're you're one step ahead of me. We've <laughs> had other people on staff who have, but it you know just kind of roll the dice. I never really got to talk to him. Um, my girlfriend used to work at a hotel near Ocean City. And she prepared the continental breakfast in the morning, set the food out and everything. And Eric Bischoff and his wife were staying there. I think they'd been in Salisbury, Maryland the night before, and they were headed down to Virginia Beach the next day. And she knew Eric Bischoff from me watching wrestling all the time. Uh, But she didn't bring up, oh, you know, my boyfriend works for a wrestling magazine. And she remembers that he was alone in the dining area. Nobody else was around. He was drinking an orange juice. His wife was with him and he chatted casual conversation with her for 10 minutes. And she was blown away how she, he knew every nook and cranny of the local area. This guy is so well traveled, you know, mm-hmm. in, anywhere from Portland to Paris. He's been there. Yeah. He knew about an old skateboarding shop that was uh, a few blocks down and it she was just really impressed by what a nice guy he was and blown away the fact that he left her a $7 tip, which that was kind of unheard of for self-serve, you know, continental breakfast at the time. So that's my seg- my little uh, <laughs> detour, Derek Bischoff. <laughs> um, I would say my most meaningful interviews were with Lou Thez and Bruno Sammartino. And this happened in the year maybe late 1999, early 2000. The big thing then was all the magazines were coming up with their top 100 wrestlers of the century type sections. And WCW Magazine had come out with a nice one. And uh, I think they rated Lutha as number one and Bruno number two. Or yes, that's how it went. And Stu told me, okay, we're not going to do that. We're not going to rank them. But we're going to come up with a hundred wrestlers and we're going to chicken out and we're going to list them alphabetically. Trouble was when you talk about these wrestlers like farmer Burns or Frank Gotch, there was only one human being alive who actually had met all these people or new people who were very close to them. And that was Luthes. you know, he even knew farmer Burns when he was a trainer in the late 1920s. And, uh, turned out Lou lived in Virginia beach, which is maybe an hour and a half from where I live. So I drove down one day and spent the whole day with him. It was terrific. I'm like, th- to me, this is the greatest legend of all time in pro wrestling history. He was world champion from 1937 to 1966, a 30 year period. And I had my list of 100 wrestlers that we were going to put in this magazine. And We went through them one by one and except maybe the most current wrestlers. But when you talk about, you know, top 100 wrestlers of the century, you know, he he at least knew all of them. And he would give me like some one line answer for, for some people. Like I said, well, what do you think of Hulk Hogan? Couldn't wrestle his way out of a wet paper bag. You know, what do you think of Edouard Carpentier? Circus performer. So, what do you think of uh, Buddy Rogers, Philadelphia Street Cop? <laughs> so he had this kind of surly nature uh, against some of uh, his his rivals at the time. And I even asked him. I said, "Well, you know, if you feel that way about it, you know, how do you feel, you know, having to lose a match to Buddy Rogers? You know, knowing that you could beat him, you know, in a real contest?" I said, "How do you feel about?" occasionally taking that dive. He said, well, the question wasn't, should I take the dive? It was, could I, in other words, that's when he made his huge money <laughs> It's when he agreed to drop the belt. <laughs> so he was quite a gentleman. And, uh, I remember we went to, uh, a restaurant close by called the thirsty camel, which was also a bar and, uh, I just bought a new Hyundai and uh, we we're driving over there and it's how gracious he was. You know, think about how much money this man had made throughout his lifetime. Even he lived very simply. He said, uh, you know, those South Koreans, uh, they make a good car. By the way, did you know I'm president of the South Korean wrestling commission? I said, no, I didn't know that. Uh, one thing I remember about him is he had a heck of a vice-like handshake grip but he was modest his wife told me that the previous year she had given him a t-shirt for Christmas that said world champion wrestler and he wouldn't wear it because he (laughs) didn't want to bring attention to himself so I interviewed Lou that day I spent the whole day with him and then the next day I had to call Bruno to get his take and Stu's remark to me was well Harry you talked to both uh, Babe Ruth and and Mickey Mantle on the same day or the same week, which was pretty extraordinary. I haven't really had a week like that where I talked to such huge legends.
0: Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10th W A R D barbershopcom And we thank them for supporting the podcast.
1: The only thing that I can compare that to in my own life was the time that I met Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, but it was only like for a very, like maybe five minutes. I was with my oldest son, James, Hulk Hogan also had a very vice like handshake, but his hands you know, were gigantic, but I can't even imagine what it must've been like to talk to two people who were part of revolutionizing this industry. That must've been massive. And I can't even imagine how honored you must feel to know that you were such an integral part of that entire process.
2: And to find out how down to earth they were. And I had the good fortune of meeting with, with Bruno, uh, Again, around 2007, I would say, and have a couple of phone conversations with him. Very much a down-to-earth guy. Uh, we did a long two-hour interview at one point, And just a small talk that you have with them, like before you hang up. Or, and I said, well, well, Bruno, I really appreciate you, know, you spending some time with me. I, I know I've been pretty greedy here, keeping you on the phone for two hours. He said, that's a fine. I guess uh, I'll go... My, my wife just walked in and she, have you ever had that Rotary chicken? That, that Rotary chicken is just 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 terrific. <laughs> I think he was try, trying to say rotisserie, but that, that always sticks in my mind. Okay, Bruno likes rotisserie chicken, the, the Rotary chicken. So little things like that. Um, another time, I, I mentioned my girlfriend before, you know, uh, wrestlers would call the house looking for me. You know, she doesn't know who they are, you know and one day i was gone and it was terry funk that called we, we were scheduled to have an interview and he says to her like, like she's making small talk uh, like trying to delay him hoping i would come in in a few minutes and he, she said well what have you been doing today oh i've been uh, shooting into gopher holes today <laughs> and uh she's why well, uh, gee whiz i apologize Harry's not here quite yet he said, well, check all the bars. And so I got <laughs> home and she's like, oh, this guy, Terry called. Is it Terry? I don't, I don't know it there yet. Terry Funk. I said, that was <laughs> Terry by God Funk. You know, <laughs> you don't even appreciate who you're talking to. <laughs> so but that's kind of a fun part. And I, I should also add, you know, I've, I've interviewed, you know, probably hundreds of wrestlers. I can tell you. I've never talked to a jerk. I have never talked to someone. I said, oh, what an idiot. I hope I never have to speak to them again. Now, I will say that I'm a little selective. If someone has a reputation for being a jerk, I'm not, you know, going out of my way. And Stu had that attitude as well. If someone was known to give people a hard time, you know, there's too many good, good people to deal with, you know. And um, I would say there was one guy, who was kind of a muscle guy, muscle head, uh, I'll call him, but he wasn't (laughs) rude, but he was very self-involved. I don't know if I should say who that is
1: that's okay i have also uh, i do to come find me <laughs> i have only had one very very terrible experience with a professional wrestler before oh, no. I, I won't say his name okay. and i won't say what happened but it was something that i didn't expect to hear from this person and it was very very disappointing so that will i'll just leave it at that maybe we'll talk off the record after this but <laughs> is it a one, surprise a big surprise? Um I mean it was a surprise to hear this person use this kind of language. Oh, I'll leave it gotcha. I'll leave it at that on, okay. on and towards me, you know, it was very surprising. But I'll leave it at that for now. We'll talk after the call. But um one of the things that I love so much again about PWI is the PWI 500. Uh your list, it's the yearly list. Uh you run down every wrestler, you do uh woman of the year, wrestler of the year, match of the year, feud of the year. This year, this past year in 2020 was John Moxley. He was the wrestler of the year. How much heat do all of you take when you release these lists? And then how long do you personally, Harry, mute your Twitter after these <laughs> lists come out? Well, you know what? The criti- the criticism is never personally directed.
2: And, you know, I feel like wrestling fans by and large are, are the best fans in the world. And I don't ever really remember getting a hard time other than the fact our only concern back in the day was how Bill would be treated at the live events. That was always a concern in many ways because the, if you wanted to contact with the wrestlers, if you wanted to be part of the wrestling world, you wanted to be a photographer because you were the one going to the venue. You're the one with them backstage. So you are the person who really knew these guys. And the writers, you know, we were just in our office in, in Pennsylvania. You know, and we might do the occasional phone interview, but we didn't know them one on one. Bill, in addition to being the photographer, he was the PR person and he was the man with the Rolodex. He had a literal Rolodex with these wrestlers and their phone numbers in them. And. Stu often had genuine concern whether he was going to be roughed up. Uh, One example might be uh, Scott Steiner. He told, and this was before he was Big Papa Pump. And he told Bill, he said, "You know what? If I'm not higher next year at the 500, I might have to break your legs. You know, things of that nature." And I, i heard Randy Savage, maybe even Kevin Sullivan, could be tough to work with, or a little intimidating. So if they had a complaint about PWI, they went to Bill. I remember we had a publication called Wrestling Annual that came out once a year. And this was late 90s during the Attitude Era. So we advertised this magazine. We would have 50 profiles in the magazine with full-color pinups in the middle. And the, the biographies, the profiles were always dripping with attitude. So you, you had that certain leeway of where you could kind of you know, punch at these wrestlers and have these little insults at them. Um, And I was sending these in day after day. And Stu called me and said, Harry, you know, you're you're going to get built beat up big time. You you need to maybe tone this down a little bit. And that you had to be mindful of that.
1: I think um, I'm sitting here thinking and I'm reflecting about what you said about Scott Steiner. And I, I don't know how comfortable I would be returning to work after getting a phone call from someone like even before even pre you know big Papa pump scott steiner looked like a monster so i know and that was in person that was a a personal (laughs) threat i would have just been like okay whatever you want just what number you tell me the number and i'll put it together for you i'll just i'll take care of it it's fine no worry everything's fine scott it's fine
2: you know bill's been gone from pwi for 20 years and that's very hard to believe wow Oh, but he keeps telling everybody if you got complaints about the 500, don't come to me anymore. Because he says every year somebody comes to him with a complaint. He says, hey, I haven't been there since 1999. <laughs>
1: I, uh, I, Harry, I can't even imagine. I know probably in years past, up until 2020, that the list has been a lot easier uh, because life has been more normal. How difficult was it for the team to complete the PWI 500 this year, in spite of the pandemic and the cinematic matches and the cancellation of WrestleMania? What was that like for you and the team internally while you worked through these processes?
2: Well, we had to give the talent leeway, as far as whether they have been in largely inactive or not, you know, ring of honor, for example, you know, they went months without having any events. You couldn't hold that against the wrestlers. So we had to kind of suspend that criteria a bit. Um, I I, I almost forget. We do have a, like a minimum year to year. Like you have to make like have 15 matches or something. I think I have that number wrong, but, um, The the big thing that impacted our list this year was there was something percolating, bubbling on the Internet about the lack of diversity on our list. And Righteous Reg, that's his handle, uh, he has a website, uh, PW PW Ponderings, and he came up with the Black WrestleLins 250. So he came up with a list of 250 male and female African-American wrestlers. And I don't know what the numbers were of how many African-Americans we had on our list. But he said, hey, I just came up with a list of 250. You know, you guys can do better than this. And I really wasn't aware of this kind of bubbling out there because I'm not a big social media person. You know, um, that's why it took me so long to respond to your uh, Twitter message. But <laughs> <laughs> um. And I was on Duke's show, Duke Loves Wrestling. And he said, Harry, are you, he even mentioned it before the show, are you aware of this going on? There's a lot of complaints uh, against your magazine for the lack of diversity. I said, no, I really wasn't aware. And we talked about it uh, during the podcast. And he said, I'll send you this list, the black wrestling 250. And I told him I would pass that along to my boss, Stu, because more than anything else, as wrestling fans, we don't want to have any blind spots. And I think, you know, if you really pushed us, we could look at any given year. And I could tell you what our blind spot was that year, the little something we missed, you know, at one time it might've been a reluctance to make a Japanese wrestler. Number one, you know, because we were primarily a North American magazine, you know, maybe, Mitsuharu Misawa should have been number one back in 1997 said Dean Malenka, little things like that. Or I know with the magazine in general, um, we'd had a blind spot toward uh, the the West Coast historically because it was a New York-based magazine. So I knew Stu would be very interested in like, okay, have we missed something? And I knew we would take it seriously. Well, this coincided with Stu's retirement. So this was a big year for us, year of transition. And Kevin McIlvaney, who came on board as a freelancer back when I was uh, the editor-in-chief is probably around 2006 or 2007. And I always knew him to be a creative guy. And he's kind of hung in there for the past, I guess, uh, 12, 13 years as a freelancer. And he had a, a major role with the 500 in deciding the list. And... I'm not saying Stu would have ignored the list because he did take it seriously, but I think Kevin being from his generation, you know, he's in his thirties. He may be slightly more attuned to diversity issues and what we might've been missing. And as wrestling fans, we just didn't want to miss anything. And he's really opened up the magazine as far as being inclusionary and not missing African-American talent that's out there. You know, we recently did a section on independent wrestling and uh, paradigm pro wrestling has a lot of great black talent that maybe wouldn't have gotten in the magazine otherwise, but now we're kind of looking for it. And we've even done uh, stories on transgender wrestlers, LGBTQ plus, which we probably just wouldn't have done in the past. We just maybe not make that call. And, um, I think the magazine sort of has a a richer tapestry now. And I think if you look at it, the feature stories, and this was happening during Stu's time there as well, where it was less the old thing of plopping the photos on the table and saying, let's make a story out of this. It was more, let's talk to this person and find out more about them. More like insider, real stuff. And that's what we concentrated on. So with Stu gone, We knew that would be a challenge. The other huge thing was the person who had spearheaded the 500 project for, I would say, last 12, 13 years was uh, senior writer Dan Murphy. He'd been with us since 1997. He came on board like shortly after I did. And he really took ownership of that list. And he wrote so many of the bios, like 350 of the 500 bios And we thought, oh, my God, how are we going to do this without Dan? And Kevin just managed to, like, divvy up the work among more people. And uh, we kind of pulled it off. So not surprisingly, without Stu, without Dan, Kevin coming on board and trying to respond to the the issues that were mentioned to us, we knew we were going to come up with a different list.
1: Now, you mentioned earlier – I forgot I muted myself. There we go. Let me <laughs> run that back again one more time. So Harry, I know that you had mentioned earlier about Hulk Hogan and uh, I guess it was Luthez coming up with the uh, the can't wrestle his way out of a lead paper bag. Right. I know there's always kind of been this, I don't know the right word for it, maybe this hatred or the fan reaction towards somebody like a John Cena or even a Roman Reigns up until very recently, uh, buck, people bucking back hard about them being the quote unquote top guy in the company. In your experience... And in your history as as a professional wrestling fan, has this type of trend always been around where a company elevates a top guy or elevates a particular person and then it just explodes and it falls apart? Or is this really just kind of happening now that it's in the digital age and more people have access to them on social media?
2: It's more obvious now and more of a factor. <clears throat> um, probably the most complaints we ever got was uh, Roman Reigns. Uh, being number one. And I believe our headline on the cover read something like, um, half of you will not be happy with this, or something of that nature. Um, This is such a polarizing figure. And our friend Duke really gave us a hard time about that. (laughs) Um, But I would say, even when I was growing up, PWI did capitalize on anti-Hogan, anti-WWF sentiment, for sure. So, If you came in as a fan in 81 and 82, 83, before the rock and wrestling connection, you were introduced to old school wrestling, where the craft was to make it look as realistic as possible. And you might have still had your weird characters, you know, like uh, the sheep herders or the mummy, but they were the exception among a group of otherwise normal athletes. So then when you went to the WWF and that became so popular and everybody was a cartoon character, you were ashamed to watch that with your dad, with your friends, because like they're judging me. Like, you know, they think I'm believing this stuff and it's so insulting and PWI, you know, really pushed the NWA to the forefront at that time. And, you know, some people have asked me whether the magazine has ever been political as far as the awards and things of that nature. And I can tell you in the 24 years I've been with them, politics has never come into play. Like, oh, we want to push TNA or or this or that. It was genuinely trying to make sure that the right person was recognized. But I think back in the 80s, they had to do that because WWF wrestlers would have won every award. You know, just the sheer numbers of WWF fans versus NWA and AWA. And the magazine was doing the best it could to prop up Flair and Martel as the real world champions. And I remember kind of having some, not not me necessarily, but my friends having inane debates like "Sag, Well, you know, the NWA is 80% real, you know, like, <laughs> WWF's like, oh, like only 40% real. You know, you played yeah. that numbers game. But if you watched NWA and AWA, you didn't feel insulted. Now, if you were seven or eight years old watching it, yeah, it's a different story. But if you're a teenager, you're like me, you're like 15, you know. know, Like, I'm in college, I'm watching Doink the Clown. You know, how embarrassing (laughs) is that? But I, I would say it did exist back in the 80s against Hogan. Like, So most of my friends could not stand Hulk Hogan. And you compared Hulk Hogan wrestling a five-minute match versus Ric Flair doing a 60-minute match and traveling the world a little bit more. It it did exist, but it wasn't palpable like now.
1: It's funny. to sort of tie everything back with Hogan. Uh, People forget that... Hulk Hogan had an incredible match against Antonio Inoki where he's doing more than the big boot and, the you know, the Hogan must pose crap. He's really going for it. I mean, this guy is a trained professional wrestler. He just knew how to work the market. He knew what people wanted to see from him. And I think Vince McMahon did that a lot as well. You talk about Roman Reigns as well, too. And I kind of wanted to tie back into it as well. Uh, I feel like Roman Reigns right now is the modern day Hulk Hogan. More so than John Cena, right? We never got the payoff with John Cena in the heel turn. Unless you count WrestleMania 36, which I could talk about the Firefly Funhouse match literally all day if you wanted to. But that's another story <laughs> for another day. I feel like we never got that payoff with him. Now that Roman Reigns, and I mentioned this sort of briefly with Eric Bischoff as well, it the pandemic kind of was a happy accident in some respects. Not just with the cinematic matches. You know, Goldberg has to go over with Braun Strowman and we get this sort of transitional period. But it allows Roman Reigns to really reinvent himself. And now he is arguably, in my humble opinion, the best part of professional wrestling anywhere. That guy is untouchable right now. And also a lot of credit to that is due to someone like Paul Heyman being in his corner. I feel like the gloves are finally off from him. Do you think there will be as much kickback now against a heel Roman Reigns as much as there was against the Hollywood Hulk Hogan of the NWO days where it was, oh, now he's everywhere. Now we can't get away from him. What do you think about that in your analysis, Harry? Do you think that's going to do you think eventually we're going to get to that same point? Oh,
2: we may. Um, I, I think he's probably got another good year of this incarnation without having to, to tweak his image. Um But uh, I always thought Roman Reigns was capable of what he's doing now. And I knew it was just, you know, the character that Vince McMahon had created that people were rebelling against because, I mean, I, you know, from the very beginning, you know, he had the athleticism, he had the movie star look. And just the fact that he was polarizing told you that he was a star, that you cared enough to be polarized. And, um, yeah, I just watching him last night on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. I mean, y- you mentioned the pandemic and how he can get away with this understated delivery that they might have not attempted otherwise. I just love that so much because I think so much of wrestling is amplified too much, and when it's amplified too much, it's not realistic. See, I'm still stuck in '81. I I just want wrestling to be, if I if I'm Watching wrestling with the uninformed, I want them to be sucked in and not saying, why are you watching this stuff? You know, and I always have that in the back of my mind. Would I be proud to watch this with a non-wrestling friend of mine? And uh, Roman Reigns is one of those people because he comes across like he is totally sincere in what he says. And I think it's because he partially is.
1: And I think they really sort of accentuated that. To me, one of the best feuds of the year last year was the Jey Uso-Roman Reigns feud. The storyline, the narrative that went along with that, it was just absolutely fantastic. And I feel like they really crescendoed that and put the the exclamation point on that at WrestleMania 37 with the, the triple threat match with Edge and Daniel Bryan. We all knew damn well who was winning that match going into it. There was absolutely no way that Edge or Daniel Bryan was winning that match. That match was purposely for the fans to finally see a heel Roman Reigns and to get those pops and to get all that aggression out at him. I think he I think he's untouchable right now, and I agree. I think it's gonna be at least another year until they get to a point where that sort of fades out. I don't know if it's necessarily gonna be like Hogan. I think a lot of the NWO's downfall came to us really oversaturation. But I don't think that they're going to have that same similar problem with this because I feel like Heyman has that. Heyman has that natural ability to sort of rein it back when you need to. You know, I feel like he's not going to let this entire thing fall apart. But I think one thing that I wanted to ask you as well, uh, as far as someone who is a historical, you know, long term wrestling fan, Eric and I actually talked about this idea of what if the wrestlers and the storylines of the '80s and the early not, you know, mid to late '90s collided with the athleticism today that's in the ring what do you think harry would be the outcome of that do you think we would see another boom in professional wrestling like we did in the 90s and conversely do you think something like that is still possible to happen i
2: do i I think there's room to have a more mature product um it's I, i think because it's pro wrestling We've lowered our expectations on certain aspects. And I don't even want to really mention uh, wrestlers' names on this, really. But I think typically WWE stars are the most guilty of this. Bad acting. And it goes for the men. It goes for the women. The backstage segments. Just because it's wrestling doesn't mean you shouldn't be at least a good actor, or come across sincere. I feel like so many times I'm watching, it's almost like some of them are just held to a fifth grade acting level. You know, yeah. where Roman Reigns, I mean, boy, you would think he studied a method of acting with, with Dustin Hoffman somewhere for the last six months. You know, people need to raise their game in, in that regard. And, you know, I don't know what the true answer is. I mean, you can have somebody kind of zany like Sami Zayn who is very entertaining mr conspiracy theory but i feel like if that was toned down just a notch it it wouldn't come across as oh these are wrestlers play acting what if these wrestlers really had the ability to suck us in like you, you see it with ufc fighters and boxers when they you know they come up with their own like straw issues before their matches and you're wondering how much of this is a work. I wish wrestling could toe to data knocks so we start to wonder too.
1: Now, again, you mentioned somebody like Roman Reigns and you mentioned Sami Zayn. Where do you think AEW could do a better job with their talent in this realm as well? Because I am I am trying, I am doing my best to, tor- to become one of the converted and give them a chance. I just find for me personally, and this is not a knock on anybody, this is just my own personal opinion. There's a heavier lack on story structure with that organization than there is with WWE. And I have a lot of problems with WWE storylines. What do you think that they can do better to accomplish the long-term arc that they're trying to get to?
2: You know, I have so much respect for AEW and Cody Rhodes and Young Bucks and what they've done, which has been truly amazing. I thought I would be a bigger AEW fan than I am for, for some of those reasons. And I'm not one of those people – I'm an oddball, and I'm, I'm going to say this doesn't make sense. I'm not one of those people who thinks every storyline should end with a uh, nice bow and a cherry on top because real life doesn't work that way. I was one of those people, WCW in the late 90s, they would start a storyline, and then like Randy Savage and Sting and hit him with a paint can – a spray can <laughs> or something, and then it would like come to nothing. Well, I was like – the only voice saying well you know life is like that <laughs> i mean <Yeah. laughs> who says thing is going to come back and get revenge maybe he just right. decided no i don't want any part of that randy savage um i think aew stars need to get more serious they're not conveying the, the same seriousness of intensity as say wrestlers on impact wrestling and that's where impact wrestling is superior they, they're probably the very best in pro wrestling right now as showing intensity. You know, guys like Eric Young and Rich Swan. you know, they really, it's its their livelihoods on the line heading into a pay-per-view. Where you do think of AEW wrestlers more like gamers and Twitchers, and they're just coming to have a good time. It needs, it needs to get a little more serious.
0: Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince in the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at the Dugout brand, follow the link on their Etsy shop and use your promo code Foundation for fifteen percent off your entire order. The Dugout custom quality apparel at an affordable price.
1: Well, even to mention someone like Nick Aldis in NWA, right? The NWA world champion. I feel like when I watch him, or if I watch Rich Swan, I feel like you're right. There is this sort of innate survival mode to what they do. They have to be these people because otherwise, they may not get the airtime that they rightfully deserve. Right. Whereas AEW, it's almost as if they're taking their, themselves so seriously that there's no room for critique or additional constructive criticism about their product because we know what we're doing. Thanks anyway. And I feel like maybe that's kind of my problem with it as well. Like you said, it's this, it's everybody shows up and it's the boys club and everything is fun and, we're, you know, let's not take it too seriously where someone like me, I'm looking at this and going, none of you guys can hold a candle to Roman Reigns or even Cesaro right now. That There's just nothing for me that's drawing me back in and I want to be involved. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to take anything away from what they're doing because I, I agree. I think that what they're doing in this day and age, especially in spite of the pandemic, has been amazing. I mean, you would have if you would have told me five, six years ago that there would have been another co- uh, competitor against WWE in a real sense. I told you we were crazy. They have the market covered. There's no way this is going to happen. But now they are. And I think there's a lot of really great talent on there. And one of the things I wanted to ask you before we tie it up and I put you into my uh, my rapid fire questions is this AEW Impact crossover you sort of mentioned it when you were talking about greg valentine working for the territory days and i think there's a lot of segments of people wrestling fans specifically who want to see a somewhat return to the territory days and see talent crossover for me the storyline lacked significantly in the aew impact title for title match i didn't feel like the build was there for me i didn't feel like there was anything that drew me back in to say why do i care about this do you think that perhaps maybe once Vince is out of the picture or, you know, maybe Paul takes over finally, that there would be room for an open door, the opening to the quote unquote forbidden door between WWE and AEW. And do you think that anyone would actually care? Do you think it would actually be pulled off in the way fans like us would want to see it?
2: Wow. Um, I think three weeks ago, the answer to that question would have been no way. But of course, with the Chris Jericho going on the, the Steve Austin podcast, and Vince McMahon's reaction to it, saying, you know, we're always open for business, made you think, yeah, perhaps something could happen. And I think, you know, my problem – well, one thing about the the uh, uh, Kenny Omega, Rich Swan lead-up, one thing I did like about it is I really didn't know what was going to happen mm-hmm. compared to all these title versus title bouts of the past, like, you know, like – you know, backland versus flair at the omni you know it's gonna be double count out or double disqualification or you or you would have a promotion obviously buying out another and you knew where it was going this is the first time i genuinely didn't know where this was headed at all but uh kenny omega is really portraying himself as too much of a, of a, a fop like all of a sudden he's a def- defenseless guy you know he's got you know, he's got his Japanese friend with with the clipboard. Which that is, to me, that's so WCW year two thousand.
1: I'm getting and strong, AEW is
2: so much better than that.
1: I'm getting strong Ralph's vibes from it, like not in a good way. Yeah, <laughs>
2: They're just 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 like
1: oh, we've been here already before. Oh, I don't know. Kenny Omega,
2: legitimately, we can make the case that he is the best wrestler in the world. You know, he was number one in the five hundred back, I think, in twenty eighteen. You know, IWGP champion, now he holds two recognized world titles, which uh, you may have noticed in our magazine, we greatly broaden the definition of the world title. We don't just recognize, you know, the Raw and SmackDown titles, you know, it's now AEW Impact, you know, AAA, uh, Trios is world tag, is a world championship. So I don't know. I, I just feel like AEW could be better served by a little bit more seriousness.
1: Now, I guess the question would be with this is as far as AEW and Impact go, because, again, with the crossover in this idea of mixing and matching talent, I am a student of the Monday Night Wars. I grew up in that time frame and then I remember the Invasion. So I'm always very concerned about things like this. What do you think sort of quality control aspects could Vince McMahon or even Triple H and Tony Khan work together to ensure that we don't have things like the invasion or a a disaster of of that proportion?
2: Yeah, I I may be naive in thinking that they may have a trust factor uh, amongst themselves. Unlike, uh, you know, Pro Wrestling USA or uh, uh, Super Clash 3 when it was Jim Crockett, Jerry, Jared, Vern, Gagne, guys who historically never trusted each other. I, I think these guys are so smart. Uh, their creative teams are smart. They could come up with a long, winding road kind of storyline where you don't know where it's going. And I think it could be the best ever. And it just r- remains to be seen you know it's never been done so you can't get your hopes up that much but you know we're we're in a bold new world now and especially with with Triple H being in a, in a great position of authority you know that this could be done right
1: i really hope so i really hope something will come from this because again the only people that win from this actually well everybody wins but the people who win the most from this are the fans mm. and the people who are who have stuck with this product through the good, bad and Katie Vick. And I feel like at some point this door is going to be kicked down and maybe it's already happened with Austin and Jericho, but uh, Harry, before I let you go, I, it's something I've been doing for a little bit here on the show. I have a bunch of rapid fire questions for you. So I'm just going to throw them at you here and then we'll go from there. So what is your all time all time favorite wrestling match?
2: Wow. I forget the exact date. Uh, you know what? I'm going to change it. Uh, I would say Nick Bockwinkle versus Kurt Hennig, San, San Francisco Cow Palace maybe, where they wrestled the one-hour draw. It was incredible to see that during the modern era and how good it was, especially with Bockwinkle being in his 50s.
1: That must have been incredible. That must have been absolutely incredible to watch in real time. Right. Your favorite WrestleMania.
2: A favorite WrestleMania. I would say WrestleMania 18 based on the strength of the Hulk Hogan rock match. To me, that is the the most dramatic match of all time, a, a true battle of eras. And just the way that Hogan went from heel to hero in that match, you know, I, I can still watch that today, even though I've indicated I was a little anti-Hogan uh, back in the 80s. You got to get a lump in your throat to see stars of this magnitude and Hogan almost like the, the the prodigal son that that went away and him being embraced again.
1: Yeah. The absolute worst wrestling match of all time. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: well, I guess I have to agree with Meltzer on this one. Uh, the reverse battle royal and TNA. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Like my that just made my head hurt again. I I I got that out of my head, Harry, for so long, (laughs) and now it's back.
2: I love it when you look at a Wikipedia Wikipedia page for any wrestler and anybody (laughs) who was involved in a battle royal that's listed among their accolades.
1: (laughs) You're like, oh oh my god, the absolute worst gimmick of all time. Oh, worst gimmick. Um,
2: I really started to hate the occupational. Yeah. Gimmicks of the early 90s. So I'd have to put T. L. Hopper there.
1: God, I remember T. L. Hopper and the Man was it the Mantar? I remember watching this <laughs> even as a kid. I was probably like nine. I'm like, what the hell am I looking at? What is this? Uh um, right. your your favorite wrestling angle.
2: Favorite wrestling age. oh I'd have to go back to 1982 Georgia Championship Wrestling. Uh Roddy Piper is the color commentator, uh, alongside with uh, Gordon Soli. And Brad Armstrong wins the PWI Rookie of the Year Award. And Piper comes out and says that Brad Armstrong, you know, he's uh, this is a great moment of his career. You know, it's great that his dad's helped him out. And then next week, he, like, indicates, you know, you know, I can see where Bob could have done a little bit of a better job. And then it was that layer week after week of Piper putting in these little jabs against Bob Armstrong. And that, to me, was the ultimate slow build. By week nine, ten wrestlers had to hold Bob Armstrong back from strangling the man. So that that was the way it was done. Weekly episodic television.
1: The biggest missed opportunity in professional wrestling?
2: Oh, I have to go with an obvious one. Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. The fact that took place in Ohio and Florida and did not headline WrestleMania.
1: To this day, I will never be able to figure out why that didn't happen. I just, I scratch my head about that every single time. I just, it just makes no sense. Current WWE in-ring talent that you would most like to see wrestle Kenny Omega that hasn't done so already?
2: Wow, that is a great question. Ah, in-ring talent. Um, I guess I have to go with Daniel Bryan. Yeah, now that yeah. he's uh, been banned from SmackDown, maybe yeah. he's available.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's probably shopping his options right now, I'm sure. That's right. He'll go to the forbidden door. <laughs> He'll kick that door open, yep. Uh, <laughs> WCW pre-Russo era during the NWO height or ECW?
2: Oh, WCW during the NWO height. I mean, I remember seeing them live uh, in a live venue when you had those guys, you know, after a promo, they're in the ring. And Buff Bagwell's flexing, like flexing, with his black T-shirt on, and the fans are just chunking the 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 soda cups and just hitting them in the chest with it. I mean, it, it, it's hard to believe that you know fans throwing things at wrestlers was once tolerated. But remember, just remember the trash that was left in the ring when those guys
1: would uh, make their appearance. I as a side. I, as a side, as a side Side note to this. I remember showing my son the Hulk Hogan heel turn from Bash at the Beach. And he's going, he's going, dad, why are they throwing all that crap in the ring? I said, you just, this is going to be so difficult to explain to a seven-year-old, you know? But like, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, that kind of thing just wouldn't happen right now. Uh, Best manager of all time.
2: Oh, boy. Best manager of all time. Uh... Although I I always like the ones that acted like real sports managers like James J. Dillon, Uh, you got to throw in personality and that's Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, I'd have to put him in the top three or four people I've ever interviewed. Such a quick wit and uh, genuine. And he was just happy making one person laugh. You know, he, he was one of a kind.
1: And the final question, Sting and The Undertaker finally square off. Who goes over?
2: I think it's got to be The Undertaker. I mean, the fact that Triple H beat Sting at WrestleMania, that's uh, kind of like, in my mind, buried his legacy a bit.
1: Another eye-roll, head-scratcher moment <laughs> in the annals of pro wrestling history I will never understand. Harry Burkett, the senior writer from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, thank you so much for taking this time to chat with me today. Uh, I really enjoy getting a chance to pick somebody's brain who has been in the industry for so long. I just want to say thank you for spending so much time with me today. I really appreciate it.
2: All right. Thanks, Adam. Great to be with you and your listeners. Uh, Uh,
0: Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kraps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almey. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode in our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor.